0: Otherwise, if you would turn to Luke chapter 21 as we get started, if you need some more sermon notes, they're walking around the auditorium. They have extra of those, and so you can just raise your hand, they'll give that to you. I came up walking with two Bibles. It's not because I have that much that I'm going to do this morning, even though I feel like there's a whole lot, but it's because the section of passage I want to be dealing with, part of my Bible is ripped out, and I don't want to change my Bible, but I'm going to miss several of the verses, so I'll have to jump between the two Bibles. I'm going to Luke 21, and then we're going to go to a really in-depth passage, a passage as I prayed moments ago. It's one of the meaty, meaty, meaty texts of scriptures. It's Romans chapters 13, 14, 15. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking in this as we continue our series on United We Stand. We're talking about we as a body being united, working together, doing what is right. And Romans 13, 14, 15 deals with a lot, as we said last week, with a whole fever, a whole cluster of verses. And there's one section in particular that's talking about where to, where, what to deal with the problem area that happened in Rome that probably reoccurs even in modern days. But before we get started let's do in Luke chapter 21, let's get started there. I'm basing my comments here at the beginning based upon what's been going on on the internet and on blogging and in people sending out all kinds of different comments and, and different recommendations and things like you've got to check out this site. There's all kinds of things that are being stated in the internet of the last few weeks about the return of Jesus Christ and how it's tied to Hurricane Harvey and the storm Irma that came through recently. And there's preachers that have developed entire messages on it. There's recommendations being made. I've gotten this, a couple of people have sent me things that say, oh we've got to read these articles. This is something you should consider preaching on. I tell you what, I'm never going to preach on some of this garbage. It is absolutely amazing what people have done that embarrasses the name of Jesus Christ in Bible study. There's stuff that goes like this. Pastor Mark shows the shocking biblical connection between the eclipse and Hurricane Harvey using math. Seriously? That's your course? Here's the discussion. Here's where it's gone. What it starts off saying is that the eclipse that occurred on August 21st, and then shortly thereafter there was the Hurricane Harvey, and it happened on August 24th, 25th, and 26th. Okay? And I have just the two dates. But I want you to go to Luke chapter 21 and see here, this just proves how this all ties together. In Luke chapter 21, jump down to verse 25 and 26. And this all happened, because if you take August 21 and Hurricane Harvey, August 24, 25, and 26, and if you look up Luke chapter 21 in particular, verses 25 and 26, look what you find. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, ah, an eclipse, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Ah, the sea and the waves are roaring. It's the hurricane. Men's hearts will fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. A hurricane. This must mean that Jesus Christ is coming back because Hurricane Harvey and Irma have occurred. How ridiculous can you be with your Bible study? How silly. And I am shocked that Christians who claim to be understanding their Bible would propagate such foolishness. My questions immediately come to mind. Uh, Wait a minute. Let me add to this. This is from one woman's message that you can find on the internet, how she says this is so confirmed. This is so absolute because if you look at the Zodiac, And you look at August 21st, it's the last day of the Leo. And we all know that the sign for Leo is Lion. And that that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, so August was his month to act. Really? Oh, and then it goes even better. It happened in Texas. The storm happened in Texas. It's the Lone Star State. And the Lone Star comes over the sire of Bethlehem with his first coming, so surely this must be his second coming. Really? 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 Uh, Questions come to my mind real quick is, why are you picking out numbers in the Bible that were not inspired by God to give direction? Why would you pick Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26? Those items, the chapter headings and the verses were not added until the 1500s. They are not a part of the inspired portion of scriptures. They were a man-made addition to help to find things quickly. They weren't even inspired by God. In fact, you can pick up some Bibles and they will have different numbers at different spots. And then my question is, why do you pick Luke? Why? Because you just grab a date, the 21st, the 25th, the 26th, and the 24th, and you grab the book of Luke. Why not just grab another verse in the Bible? Why not take another book? Like, here, I'll jump back and I'll just grab Proverbs chapter 21 and read where we read in Proverbs 21 verse 25. The same dates, the same numbers. The desire of the slothful kills him. That's the storm. It happened because all those people were lazy. How foolish. How foolish. How foolish. How silly to do that. Are we saying that the catastrophes that happen in America are that which is observing all of prophecy? do not there other eclipses that take place around the world at other times that other nations will see them? In fact in the next few years there's going to be several in other nations. Why is it the arrogance of the American public that all the scriptures and all the prophecies have to surround what happens in the United States? It makes no sense to me. It, is, it absolutely, if you haven't gotten the sense, it irritates me that people call this, that kind of stuff Bible study. And they give a bad name to churches and they make it foolish. You no know, wonder people mock and ridicule the idea when all of a sudden we talk about the Lord's soon return. Yeah, because of Hurricane Harvey and Irma. And they decry true Bible teaching. So you and I should be accurate in our Bible study. We should be careful and we should make sure that when we look at a passage like Luke chapter 21 we understand the context of the passage. It doesn't even apply to this time that we're living in. It applies to the tribulation period right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is not in reference to us and what's happening in the world around which we live in today. Because if we follow scriptures, we're not going to be around when Luke 21, 24, 25, and 26 occurs. We're going to already be in heaven. And so we need to be careful in our Bible study and please don't send any more of these recommendations and blogs to look up. It's just, it's just irritating. Now on the flip side, is there something to looking at the Bible sometimes when it talks about numbers? I think there is a, valid, a validity to it, a valid time to do it. I want to do it for a few minutes right here. You know, very simple with numbers in the scriptures. There are two types of people in the Bible. Now I'm not talking male and female, and in this society it's already gotten male, female, whatever else. Okay? We're talking not male and female, but I want to remind you that according to the scripture there are two types of people. According to the passage we read as a group at the beginning of the sermon, there are the sheep, there are the goats. Reading another text, we read that there are the spiritually living and the spiritually dead. They're referring to the same people. At terms, times, the, the, the ones are called different terms like the sheep, spiritually living, they're called believers. Those others who are the goats or the spiritually dead or the unbelievers... Elsewhere they're called the children of God and then those who are not his children. They're actually called the children of the devil in Ephesians chapter 22. We read in scriptures, in a whole section of scriptures, there are those who are trying to be justified by works and those who are believers being justified by faith. To summarize it, what we have basically two types of people, the saved and the lost. Those who are saved from sin, those who are lost in sin. What it goes back to is this idea that the scriptures teach all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. We are all sinners. And because of our sin, we do not deserve to get into heaven. For the wages of sin is death. We deserve damnation. We deserve hell. We have violated God's word. It happened with Adam and Eve. It's been passed on into our being spiritually that we are sinners by nature, but we are also sinners by choice. We have done wrong. We have violated the Ten Commandments. Some of us more than others. And as a result, we deserve a penalty, a punishment that God has established from eternity past that if you break my law, you are going to be damned into eternal hell. So don't break my law. Well, all of us have. The only way to get our sin taken care of, get it forgiven, is not by you and me going to church. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy he saves us. It is coming and realizing that Jesus Christ has taken the, the punishment of all of our sins upon himself. And when he died on the cross, he suffered for that, for that period of time for all of our sins, for all of my sins, for all of your sins. To the point that he yells out that, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is experiencing hell for me. He is taking all of my punishment. To the point that at the very end of the cross, he is able to yell out Eloi, or uh, he yells out Tetelestai, the idea that it is finished. It has all been paid in full. I have covered everybody's sin. But. The question comes, have you accepted the payment that he has made? Have you allowed him to make application to your spiritual bank account? Have you called upon him to be your savior? Have you become a believer? Have you recognized that you are spiritually dead and need to be given new life through Jesus Christ? Have you decided that you are going to stop trying to be justified by going to church, being baptized, being catechized, being a good person and rely totally and simply upon the work and the person of Jesus Christ to get you into heaven? That is called being born again. That is called being saved, calling upon him. For whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. Have you ever done that in your life? If you haven't, then you are one of those that's on that one side where you are called one of the goats, who will one day be on his left hand and will be cast into eternal damnation, Matthew 25, passage that continued with what we read this morning. You will be one of those who remains as an unbeliever, one of those who are not his children, one of those who insist on getting to heaven by yourself. You will not get into heaven. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. You need to call upon Christ. I did do that when I was 16 years of age. Many other have done it at some time. And if you have yet to do it, you need to have that moment in your personal history where you accept Christ by repenting of your sin and asking him to give you total, complete forgiveness and give you eternal life. If you do that, you're born again. Then you become one of the sheep, one of the spiritually living, one of the believers, one of the children of God, one of those justified by faith, one of the saved. So there's two types of people. The question comes down to this is, which one are you? It's up to you to decide by asking Christ or rejecting Christ. It's your choice. Now, of those who are saved, let's take it a step further. Of the saved people, there are two types of saved people. If we go to scriptures and if we were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we would find out there's two types of saved people. The two type of born again people. Two type of believers. Two type of Christians. There are those who are spiritual. Those are carnal. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes. And we've defined it. The spiritual are the growing. Those are the maturing. They might be just saved a matter of weeks, but they're still growing. They're maturing. They might be saved for a matter of decades. They're still growing. They're maturing. The carnal are the babes who are, who are not learning the word of God, who are not studying the word of God, who are not taking it in on a regular basis or what they do is just ever so little that they're just doing the milk the pablum as he talks about here in the text they're not getting into studying the word of God growing in Christ they're saved but they're described in that same book as saved yet so as by fire that they aren't living for the lord they're just getting by they aren't the type they're the type of person who isn't in the word of god during the course of the week they're the type of person that they just the obligation of going to church meets and fulfilled by going you know one time of the week or two times of the week and it's just you know you tell me what the word of god says and then they walk out and the bible sits on the shelf the type of person that prayer is not important the type of person that their life is not seeing great change because they aren't growing in christ The question comes down to this. Which one are you? You are one or the other by your choice once again. If you're born again, you're either a spiritual Christian or you are a carnal, a baby Christian. It's your choice. God doesn't force it. Now those who are spiritual, there are again two types of individuals talked about in the book of Romans. Romans 13, 14, 15 where we want to focus the bulk of our time this morning. In this passage he's talking about two different groups in the church. Both of them who are growing. Both of them in the faith. Both of them who are trying to serve the Lord. Both of them who are trying to grow in the Lord. Both of them are active in the church and they're active in growing but there is a difference between them. One is weak in the faith. One is strong in the faith. they are individuals who have a desire to please God and they go to the Lord, they seek from the Lord direction, but the difference in what they're experiencing is difference in personal standards that they're applying to their life and what they think should apply to other people's lives. And that, that becomes the problem of Romans 13, 14, 15. Let me see if I can back it up and give you a little bit more background information to describe what I mean about these personal standards. The Bible clearly gives us a number of standards or rules to follow. Those are the thou shalt not, thou shalt do this. There's plenty of them in scriptures. They are very clear simple, understandable commands that apply to every individual of every nation, of every culture, of every age. We could list some of those out. That would be very simple. These aren't, these aren't exhaustive. This is just, just an exemplary list of it. Not to lie. Pay your taxes. To be praying. Not to be gossiping. Train up your children. Study the word of God. Forgive. not have, uh, you know, Control your temper. The idea of attending church. to Getting baptized. The idea of no drunkenness. The the idea of no sexual immorality, the idea of, of working at your marriage and trying to resolve it. Now again I say these are only some of the very explicit commands in scriptures. There are dozens of them there are plenty of them that we need to learn, we need to understand that apply to all of us who claim to be born again. And they're very clear. They're very simple. And many of them, and as we said, all of them apply to all of us no matter what our age in Christ. No matter what our age physically or circumstances as they apply, everyone who has a marriage is to work on. Everyone who has children is to be training them. Everyone is to be involved with forgiving and praying. Everyone is to avoid, no matter what the culture, drunkenness. And so they're all very explicit. Everyone who is a born again Christian is supposed to be paying their bills, paying their taxes. And so he talks, about many of those things in many cultures and they're very clear. The problem that we get is that there are a number of situations that you and I face that the Bible does not directly talk about. There isn't a specific command about a number of items. We could bring it into modern day. The Bible does not talk about some of the things we face in modern day thinking. It doesn't talk about what about TV sets. Whether we should have them, whether we shouldn't. It doesn't talk about credit cards, whether we should have them, whether we shouldn't. It doesn't talk necessarily about some of the modern type of clothing. Yet, you know, there's got to be something in scriptures that gives us direction. And so the Bible doesn't deal with everything. It doesn't talk about what type of car you should be driving, what type of job you should be doing. It doesn't talk about sports activities, whether you should be involved in them or not. It doesn't deal with a lot of those things. There's some of the reasons why, because if the Bible dealt with every single one of those topics that you run into, we wouldn't be carrying a Bible in our lap, we'd be carrying this truck filled. It'd be a huge Bible. And so God, in his wisdom, doesn't give us an IRS code, volume like that, or government code, he gives us something small that we can take with us, and it doesn't doesn't, um, intimidate us to read it. So he gives us something that's practical, and what he did instead is he says, okay, I understand that through many different ages, many different countries, many different times, there's going to be changes. There's going to be changes from culture to culture in some of the standards. In fact, let's be frank about it. Most of you sitting here this morning, you would not be considered modestly attired if you lived some 200 years ago. The dress has changed. That's okay. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Okay, But we deal with where we're living in today with different cultures. In fact, Paul or Peter had that experience. He was understanding that there was a change in the culture and even in what was required for the time that he lived in. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, who had grown up Jewish, he is told me in this vision, Peter, rise up. There's this vision sheet uh, filled with all kinds of animals. Eat it. And in the vision, he says, Lord, I can't eat it. Those are non-kosher foods. And me being a Jew, I can't eat some of those. And in the vision, he is told what God has called clean, don't you call it unclean. Eat the thing. Eat the food. And so that reoccurs, and the whole lesson here is, Peter, there's been some changes taking place in some of the regulations given in Scripture for the diet law. It is changing. We're no longer living under those Old Testament dietary rules anymore. But he had a problem with that because it was something that was traditional to him, something that he was grown up with, something ingrained in his mind. And it was a big step for him. Now in other cultures it changed in different ways. It changes in some things, you know, Uh, back in church history there was we we back if we were back hundreds of years ago we would be sinning by having this thing in, in the auditorium. We'd be sinning by having that organ in the auditorium back in the early church history they wrote very clearly about how no instruments in church Augustine makes the comment that musical instruments are not going to be used in church because they are used in sensual heathen cult worship and we aren't going to mimic that type of worship so we won't ever have the tabret we won't have the pipe we won't have the harp we aren't going to use any of those different types of instruments because they're associated and he's not the only one that said that by association we stay away from Clement and 190 said we aren't going to use the trumpet, we aren't going to, tell you what, you don't play that trumpet for an offering again back in those days because the trumpet was an instrument of warfare. And therefore the believers like Clement said we won't use a weapon of warfare like the Estruscans and uh, the Thracians and others use different instruments in the battlefield. We're not in this battlefield. We're a peace-loving people. We are not going to use military weapons in church. It went on for a period of time that they said that the greatest instrument we're going to use is not something that has strings or that you blow into, but you use your own voice. This is the best instrument possible to honor God. And so we're going to make sure that we use only only vocal music in the church and no type of instruments. Up into the 1200s they weren't going to use some of those same instruments that were used in scriptures in the book of Psalms because then we'd be Judaizers. And so a period of time in church history that there was no instruments and then finally the organ came in. And the organ was the predominant instrument. Never pianos. You never use a piano because pianos were used in dance halls. They were used in bars. And it was only in the 1850s when all of a sudden the circuit riding preachers went in and especially in America. America and started to do the tent meetings, that they needed an instrument that was portable, that they started using those portable organs and then the pianos, and then it became acceptable because it was pragmatically useful to start using in church services. And so for years who was right? Is that the way it should be today? Culture changes some of these standards. And that doesn't mean that it's evil that it's right. Oh, okay, I got one for you. You'd fire me if I did what he did. Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800's prince of preachers great preacher. His uh, face and his comments were used to advertise cigars in Great Britain because he would smoke on a regular basis. In one of his quotes he says I smoke a cigar every Sunday morning before I get up to preach so that I clear my lungs. If I did that you'd can me. You'd fire me. okay? You'd say there's no way. But at that time, they didn't know all the different inherently dangerous things with the tobacco. In fact, when tobacco was first brought into Great Britain from America, it was used as a very good medicinal product that could help people. Boy, have times changed, right? Oh, in fact, hasn't it changed culturally in the last 50 years? Yes or no? Yeah, Marlboro Man is no longer a hero. But some of us, we remember him riding that horse and smoking that. Okay? Things have changed. There's, um, there's times that culture's changed. You and I would roll over if somebody came in and said, hey, we're going to do these markings. We're going to do these tattooings. We're going to do these scarring. You all know, that is, that looks like they're, they're hurting their body. It looks like they're doing, you all know, look at all the makeup. But in their cultures, this is a mark of beauty. It's a mark of status. It's a distinction of where you are in the society. It has nothing to do with paganism. It has purely to do with the culture. And by the way, this is considered beautiful. The more scarring in some of these cultures, the more beautiful the person looks. Well, that is definitely non-American, Right? So they must be wrong because they're not like us. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Different cultures, different ages, different times. So what do we do? How do we answer this? When do we determine what's right and what's wrong in some of these areas? And quite frankly, it becomes a real issue in churches like ours today because there's differences of opinions. There's different individuals that will look and say, wait a minute, I want everything to be black and white. I want the same standards. Every year I go to church, every decade, and for everyone in church, they should have the same standards. It doesn't work that way. It just times have changed. Attires, there's, there's different. Aren't you glad we're not wearing the 70s clothes? Amen. Amen. I'm glad when it comes to sports, guys aren't wearing those same shorts that they wore in the 70s. Okay. There's, there's some things that are good that have changed. And we say, okay, then what, what do we do? How do we handle this? Well, what makes it even more complicated is within this room there's different backgrounds. There are different things that have happened in your background that happened in my life, in my background. And some of those things that are not dealt with explicitly, that are not innately condemned in scripture, there are some things that by association, by experience, we might say, hey, when I did this as a teenager, and I did when I was a teenager, I did certain things. I played certain games that we did when we went out drinking, and usually we went out to a bar to drink, and it was all illegal. I understand, and I know that. I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but that's what my lifestyle was. Go out drinking at Bumpy's Bar. When we did that, one of the games we played, and it was filled with all kinds of foosball games. You know what foosball is? okay? So in my mind, when I first got saved, foosball was associated with drinking in the bar. Now some of you here would say, oh how silly, but you never had that experience. And so it didn't make, it doesn't, you don't think that same way. But for me, that foosball, that put me into that mind, and mind, frame of mind. And so that's what I thought. And some of you would say, oh, how can you be so foolish? But yours was a different experience. Let me, let me see if I can do it this way. Make it, some of you have certain hymns that you absolutely loved and so you love this hymn let's, let's pick uh, the old rugged cross and so you pick this hymn you love to sing it when we have favorites you raise and say let's do hymn number 32 it used to be in the old hymn book number 32 and you say let's sing that song but then all of a sudden you had a family member that died you went to the funeral and guess what song you picked for the funeral you picked the old rugged cross and then guess what happened the next time you came to church and sang the old rugged cross it took you right back to that funeral and it no longer makes the same impact for you. It has an association to something that isn't as sweet. It was a bitter experience. Sweet that they're with you heaven, but it was a sorrowful experience. And that happens with music. And it's very personal. And the next person sitting next to you in the pew can say, well, how can you say that it was a funeral song? Because you chose it to be one. And now that's locked into your mindset. That happens in a variety of different ways. Well, there was uh, in the Church of Rome and in the Church of Corinth, they had that same thing happening. They had people who grew up, not the Jews in the churches, because the Jews, this wasn't an issue. But they had other people who grew up in the church and these people, who, some of them, who grew up, they were involved with the local temple where they worshipped a variety of different gods. And so they would go to the temple, they would take their, their meat, their animal sacrifice, and they would worship there. And everybody who was involved in that temple knew that what they would do with the animals that they sacrificed, that they would turn around and sell those animals in the meat market on the backside of the market. And so the, the, you, know, you were going in, giving your animal for sacrifice, a few hours later you're going out and buying meat at the market and you're buying back your own meat that you had sacrificed. So you know that was the culture. They knew that. They understood that. The Jews, it made no difference to them for the most part because they, didn't, they discounted this whole temple business whatsoever. They get saved. And now both in Corinth and in Rome, people are getting saved who used to go to this temple and worship at this temple. And now they have a problem. They say if we buy that meat from that market that's associated with the temple, we're supporting the temple. We don't want to support that temple. That meat was sacrificed to a false god. Surely that, te- that meat's been tainted spiritually. We want nothing to do with it. And if we buy that, it's going to be promotion. We look like we're, we're in favor of this temple. And some of those in the church said, <laughs> meat is meat. It is what it is. We can buy it. And the Jews who are in the church say, we don't care as long as it was kosher. What's kosher? What's the Jewish food that, well why are you holding to your, so they had all these conflicts starting to arise in the church over whether to eat meat. They did the same thing with feast days. If you look in Romans chapter 14, you'll see the comments in verses 3, 4, 5, 6. That some were recognizing certain days. And they were having tough time with certain days. That that day used to be, that was a day we all had off. We had this day off because it was the it was the celebration of some God, local God. And so we had the day off from work. Well, if we take the day off from work, are we celebrating that local God? Oh no, we shouldn't have that celebration. We should still keep our business open. We should do whatever because we don't want to show like we're... We're involved with that celebration, of God. It's kind of like what people do today with Christmas. Yes, no. Christmas years and years ago it was this December 21st You know, is tied to that whole idea of the the change in the in the schedule of the winter solstice and all those types of things and Saturnalia used to be worshipped in some of that time and so did Mithras and therefore they were worshipped right around that idea of December 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th and then the Christians they start celebrating the birth of Christ around that same time and nobody's sure when he was born. Some say it was around that time, some say it wasn't but surely we can't if we celebrate Christmas December 25th years and years ago before any of us were alive and generations and generations ago it used to be tied to Saturnalia so we can't celebrate December 25th because otherwise we're worshipping a false god. And it becomes an issue and you will see on the website how many different groups will get on that bandwagon about how December 25th is a corrupt day, don't do any worship on that day and don't have anything festivity with Christ because you're worshiping Mithras who is pre-Roman era. As if you really know who Mithras is. And quite frankly you can find a holiday for any god any day of the year so every day is tainted. So anyway, those become different arguments. And some are saying we shouldn't eat any meat whatsoever. We should all become vegetarians. And so we should all, let's all become vegetarians or vegans. And then everything is taken care of. But then the New Testament says all meats are, should be, are to be received with thanksgiving. So where do we go with this? What do we do with this? And the people in the church were confused and so you have some situations, true situations that you have for some people who which totally make sense to me. If somebody was an alcoholic and they struggled with, uh, with drinking and they were tempted and they get to a place that is really, really you know, going to bring back the memory of the, of the drinking or it's going to cause them to be tempted to go back to drink, they don't want to go to a bar. They don't want to go to a restaurant that has a bar in it that makes sense to me because that person has a weakness a propensity towards that struggle and they should stay away from that uh, there was a preacher that was saying that he preached and he was he was sharing with me that he said i once preached this uh, message on standards and I was preaching a message and I got done with it and he was doing a multi-series standard me- uh, uh, series on, uh, for the week on standards. And he went to this house where it was one of the church leaders were, were giving him lunch and they were just talking and chit-chat and all of a sudden the wife when she came in with the meat, sat down at the table and said with a clank, she says, and I hope you tell everybody if they have a credit card, it's sin. He goes, what? And she says, if they have a credit card, It's sin. And his response was, well, I hope not. I just bought gas this morning on my credit card. And she said, how could you do that? And you're preaching to us. Well, the reason she had such a problem with it is that she and her husband had problems with the credit card. They abused it. And for years it took them to get out of their debt. And so they came to a point that because they struggled with controlling the credit card, they snipped them up. They didn't have credit cards. And it's a normal tendency that what we think is wrong for us, we assume is wrong for everybody else. And if I struggle with credit card control, then you must too. So you can't have a credit card because I struggle with it. Do people think that way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so what he's doing is he's dealing in scriptures. God in his wisdom is saying, I understand that people have different backgrounds. If I write about every issue that everybody has and every concern and struggle they have, I'll be giving you a huge, huge book that nobody will read because it's too intimidating. So I'll give you some basic principles by which you operate your life. And they will apply. I will give you specifics that will apply to everybody, every culture, every age, every country. They'll be very clear. No lying, no adultery, pay your bills, train your children, very specific. But when we get into some of this other area, what I'll do is I will give you principles. Principles that are transgenerational, that are trans country, that are for different cultures, that are for different eras. And I'll give you basic principles, and you will have to take your Bible and you add your Bible principle with something that people don't think they can do. You put it with thinking. With thinking. Use your Bible and your brain and say, How does this apply to my life? And he gives us principles. And those principles for wise living are certain questions that you would ask. Like this, does this, whatever I'm going to do, honor and please God? Well, you got principles. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Ephesians says, prove what is acceptable. By the way, the proof is not. Here's the wrong question. Young people, don't ever say this to your parents. Because from here on, your parents are supposed to ask you a different question. Don't say what's wrong with it. That's not the question you ask. According to this verse you ask, what's right with it? What's right with it? What is in what way does this please the Lord? If I get involved with this activity, how is it pleasing to the Lord? He, so you ask a question, is it honor does it honor or please the Lord? Here's another question, does it innately harm my body? If it is something that is harmful, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit if I'm born again. The Spirit of God is within me, he says, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. So certain things that I should not be doing. Even before the world said that tobacco was something that we should get off of all the advertisement, born again believers who realized that tobacco had had a harmful effect would say by this verse they shouldn't be smoking because it has a harmful effect. And so that goes, If okay, what about, what about the drinking of the alcohol? If it has a harmful effect, you stay away from it. What about certain drugs? You stay away from it. What about, what about the drugs that my doctor prescribes? Are they healthy? There's, there's opportunity that you take a little wine for your stomach, but taking and abusing the medications is wrong. Okay, so you say, okay, does it glorify my body? Here's a principle for you. Is it potentially addictive? Is it potentially addictive or does it control you? And again, medicines becomes an issue for some depending upon where they're at, how they're handling it. But here beyond that is all things he says, I can do a lot of things. All things are not necessary. All things are lawful for me or uh, legal. I can do a lot of things, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So is it something that's addictive? Hey, I'll I'll tell you how how one one of our godly men applied that years ago. And you you might think it's silly, but in their life it wasn't silly. In their life, playing sports became a god. They were very good at it, just a tremendous athlete, still are, uh, still am. Uh, and so they came to a point that when they first got saved, they realized that that playing sports was dominating their life. It was controlling much, much more than it should in their life. It was controlling a lot of their time, their activity. It was cont- taking away from the family. It was taking away, as a born-again young believer, it was going to take away from worship. And so they came to a point They said, you know what, that's become a god to me. And so I'm going to put aside that sport until I can control and not yet control me until I can control it and know how to say no until that time. I'm just going to stay away from it altogether. What wise living? Wise living, recognizing their own battle, their own struggle and making application. Does it promote good thoughts? You have in Philippians 4 finally, brethren, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So that applies for me the application of this was real simple. Some of the music I used to listen to, I can't listen to anymore. Why? It doesn't promote godly thoughts. Some of the music that I used to listen to, it talked about all kinds of, of, of sexual activity outside of marriage. It talked about all kinds of drinking. It talked about all kinds of lifestyle that could be vindictive. I don't need that. I already have enough struggles in my mind. I, 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 can't, I can't handle that. And I don't need that. That goes even into some movies, okay? Goes into some entertainment. What is it promoting? What is it suggesting? What kind of thoughts is it creating in your life? And so God in his wisdom doesn't have to write out okay, here's what you can watch. Here's the TV program in 2017. In this this season of TV, here's what you can watch and he lists out the different programs, that principle should be guiding you. In any season or whatever, is it commonly associated with evil? Abstain from all appearance of evil, he says. In Ephesians, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. So stay away from those things and reprove them. Then he says, how does your choice affect others around you? We would ask this question, he says that you and I need to take heed. I have liberty to do a lot of things. I have liberty. All, All music, he says, could be lawful to me. All entertainment could be lawful to me, but I'm not going to if it doesn't promote God, if it doesn't promote hell or God God approved things, if it if it d- promotes unhealthy thoughts or if it becomes addictive. And then he says you also have to consider how does it impact others around you. Take heed lest your liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block. Because if there's a weaker brethren who is struggling with something, do not. Do not take that weaker brethren who's struggling with alcohol and their path don't take them to Applebee's for lunch and sin against their conscience. Don't do that, he says. You don't, you don't get them into a scenario, and you be very careful. So here's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with believers in the church who have different points of views about a lot of those personal decisions and those standard, or those principled verses, those standard verses, and how does it apply? And some of them, some of them it applies differently because of their background. Some of the Gentiles, some of the Jews. Some of it applies differently because of their personal experience, or their personal struggles and battles. And what's happening is these people came to a point that in the church of Rome, they were saying, wait a minute, if it's good for me, it's good for you. Why are you struggling In an area that I don't struggle in. Or they were saying, if it's bad for me, it's got to be bad for you. You know, if Apple's Bees is bad for me, Apple's Bees is bad for you. And so they were making themselves the standard. They were saying, I'm the determining factor here. If I struggle with certain music, then everybody must struggle with it. If I struggle with credit card debt, then everybody's got to stay away from the credit card. And you better put it off or else... And so they started having these divisions in the church and the conclusion was they were thinking the other person is spiritually inferior. Whether they had the battle or whether somebody else had the battle, they were looking and saying, something's wrong with you. You can't be saved if you don't look at the same same things the way I look at it. And there was a battle. And isn't it great that in 2017 we don't have those struggles anymore? (laughs) Nobody struggles with that anymore. Right? Everybody in the church agrees now. Nobody has issues about what is too much makeup. Nobody has issue of whether you should have a tuft or not. You all should. You know that. You should have tufts. Okay. Nobody has an issue of whether wait a minute, if a tie is appropriate for me, it's appropriate for everyone. Okay? Certain colors, and I'm joking about all that stuff, but certain colors, are they an issue in certain churches? Certain attire? Yeah. Certain certain type of vehicles that are driven. Certain Bibles that you hold in your lap. Which translation is the right translation? The inspired one. Yeah, which one? Which one's the inspired translation? We all know. Okay. Okay. What 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 you know, what type of music should a church be using? You know, they all every church has to have the same music or anybody who doesn't use the music we do, they're they're ungodly. Really? Really? And if they don't have the service at the same times we have a service, they have to have it at 9.15, 6.30, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays, or they're not spiritual. Do some churches act that way? Yes. That's wrong. That's just wrong. To have this, this arrogant attitude. Okay, we have, in this whole discussion, we have issues that come. I'm pastoring elsewhere for the two years I was away from here. And my kids were little. I go to the shore. Yes, I went to the shore. I went to the shore with my kids. I come back and in the message I made a comment about an illustration that when we were at the shore oh my lands you would have thought that I had committed murder. The man came up to me after the service and he just started up one side and down another. other and how can you say you're a man of God and go to the shore? well, I know it was Jersey. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) He said, no, it's not Jersey. It's any shore. How could you go to the shore? And I said, well, I took Highway 1 and just drove it down the road. (laughs) And he just, oh, he was irate. He says, I I cannot believe I thought you were a good preacher. I don't think I can stay in this church anymore because you took your family to the shore. And so it was like, can you tell me what the problem is? Well, it's obvious. Sand? I don't like the sand at the shore. And he says, No, 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 it's the eyes. When you're at the shore, all that you see and all that sin. And I said, Oh, okay. So we're talking, and I had a tough time with this conversation. I just did. (laughs) And so he's, y'all, he says, There's just so much evil. What they're wearing, or should I say, what they're not wearing. So, said, oh, you mean that when you're at the shore shore, you know, in the water and stuff like that? He says, yes! He says, how can you be a pure man and go to the shore? I said, i got to tell you, it didn't bother me. How can you be a man? Whoa, now it went through all. He says, I can be a man and not bother you. What's wrong with you? And I was <laughs> I said, well, when Deb and I took the kids down to the water we went in the water. I wasn't seeing what other people Well, even in the water you see what people are wearing or not wearing. How can you do that? Now, by the way, some of you may have that standard for not going to the shore. Okay? That's fine. Okay, and I respect that, even though I'm mocking the way this man did it. If you have that standard, that's fine. But this the way this man did it was just and I said, Here, I, I really don't have that struggle that you do. And he goes, What then he again, he addressed my manhood. Um, I said, well when we go into the water, I take off my glasses. <laughs> now this is before I had my eye surgery. This is before I had surgery. I said, I have a tough time even seeing three feet in front of me and Deb's the only person that gets this close and our problem is we bump into other people. Yeah. And so I don't see. He goes, How can you say that? It's real easy. I can't see. So it's not a temptation to me because I can't see. And we just, when we walk away, we walk away and get out and we don't stay at the beach. And that's our choice. And we just avoid some of that, which I understand. I understand the temptation. We aren't beach people to sit on the beach and do that because part of that reason. And so that's our choice. That's because we have agreed to that. But when we're down there, this took care of my problem. And he said, I just can't believe that. I can't help it. He said, well, I just just think that, you know, you should just, I just need to stay away from you. And I said, that's good. That's good. Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about is that attitude of if you don't have the same battles I have, then something's wrong with you. And that we just can't say that. We can't do that in the, in the items that are not explicitly expressed. That is where we're getting to Romans 13. By the way, this was all introduction. I haven't got to the message yet. <laughs> you did bring lunch. Did you get the memo? So what he's doing is he's writing and he's going to talk about it And he's going to give And I'll just, I'm starting. This is just the start for tonight and the next, mm-hmm. next Sunday. He's going to lay out three foundational principles. Foundations in the New Testament were like, if you're building something, it would be your cornerstone. And what would happen, everything has to line up from here. This way, this way, this way. I'm going to show you three cornerstones, not out of Romans 14. That's where we'll start tonight. Romans 13, the last part of the chapter. He writes and he says, these are the foundational cornerstones that you need to keep in mind. Number one, you need to love as God loves. When it comes to this whole discussion, start off with loving as God loves. Look what he says in Romans 13. Owe no man anything but to what? Roman verse 8. Owe no man anything but to what? Love How many? one another for he, in Romans 13 verse 8, for he that loves another fulfills the entire, the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there be any commandment that is briefly comprehended, this is it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no evil to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay, Quick explanation, what he's talking about here is, guys, when you come together as worship and you start talking about this issue of standards, here's where you start. You keep on loving one another. This love is the debt that is never paid up. You can, you have financial debts you get rid of, but you never get rid of this loving one another. It is unending. It is unlimited. The one another, he uses both different words in the original language. You love those who are close to you or like you. The believers, you love others who are outside of the family of God. You practice love. He talks about being unselfish. You in your life, you do not treat somebody in a selfish fashion. The, air, the passage in verse 9, for this, and then he gives the commandments. For this refers to the love. Love does not commit adultery. It does not steal somebody's purity. Love does not kill. Love does not steal. Love does not bear false witness. Love does not covet. And so he's listing out some of these commands that says, this is what we're supposed to be, unselfish individuals. That we are not harming individuals by doing things blatantly against folk. We seek no ill, he says in this passage. He gives the idea that we don't do anything that is harmful towards other people. This is love. This is a foundational principle that as we live, as we do our lifestyle, we say, am I a loving individual? That means this in context. I do not blatantly do those things that hurt others. No false accusations. I do not take people's possessions. I do not take away their purity. We do, not, we do not attack anyone in anger or in strife. We do not destroy someone's reputation. We are individuals that do not blatant or subtly, in a subtle way, do unloving deeds like this. We do not in an unloving way, selfish way, say it's all about my rights. Whatever I want to do, that's what I can do. You can't do that. can't do that. We do not insist on doing what we want even if it doesn't help others around us. I want to go to Applebee's because I like you know, their ribs that they serve and I don't care if you struggle with alcohol, we're going to Applebee's. can't do that. Can't do that. We do not do or say things that harm other individuals. We do not determine if something is okay just because it's something I want to do or I like to do, therefore it's okay. Let me see if I can apply it in this way. We don't watch movies just because we want to see that movie. If it's in our home, we have to pause and say, how does this movie affect my kids? How does it affect their thought life? The language that they learn. The places we go does it help build up individuals or does it create an issue for those individuals that we're with or create a desire to do something that's associated with that place we go? What we wear. This is probably one of the hardest things to convey is ladies, young ladies, what you wear and how you wear it, how does that impact? You say, oh, that's that dirty old man thing again and they're responsible. Yes, they are. We who struggle, we men, who struggle with our, where our eyes go, we who have to always try to be on guard, we have ownership of that. But you have responsibility to also dress and act and conduct yourself in such a way as not to flaunt and create problems for others. We uh, The choices we make for kids' involvement... I want my kids, the chances are, when they were young. I want kids to be involved in social community type things. What about the sports? Well, wait a minute. What am I teaching my kids is more important on the Lord's Day? Sports or worship? Well, it's just for a season in the year, but what have you taught that's more long lasting? There's the idea of being careful here, of where we spend, what we do, what we can get involved with, the language we use. The words that we say, does it draw people to Christ? Or does it push them away to say, is that really how a Christian should walk and talk and act? So we have to look and say, okay, I love as God loves because I'm concerned about other people. I'm concerned how it impacts other people. Can't get away from that principle. Here's the second principle, live a godly lifestyle. He says in the next verses, Watch what he does. And that knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness and chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is about a lot, godly lifestyle. Let me, let me put it this way. You put off, you cast off the works of darkness. That is anything that is associated or looks or, or is bad. And you know what is bad. You know the cursing is bad. You know the sensuality is bad. Nobody has to tell us that. We know that. We know that the stealing is bad. We know that, that you know, the, uh, the certain language and certain... We just know it's bad. He says, get rid of it. Put it off. Get it out of your life. Cast it far away. Don't, don't hang on to it like it's something precious. There's a gal in New York. The story is true. A gal in New York a couple of years ago developed a new business her new business was helping out the many tenants in New York who lived in apartments and didn't know what to do if their cat, or their dog had passed away, how to dispose of the body. So she ran advertisements that she would come and pick up the the body of their deceased pet and she would dispose of it for them. And so excuse me, I'm going to giggle. I know the story. So what she does is she she charges $25. She comes and she very respectfully gathers up the animals remains and she takes them and um, she developed this whole business. She you know, took the animal We would take it away. She would visit Salvation Army or some of the thrift shops and she'd buy suitcases. And she'd buy um, costume jewelry. And she would take, put the animal inside the suitcase and dangle out of the suitcase a little bit of the costume jewelry. She'd go to the subway and she'd sit in the subway, put it down, invariably, it happened every time she said somebody would come by, seeing the costume, Drew would come by, snatch up the suitcase, and she would go, thief, thief, and they would run off with the suitcase. She disposed of the animal. (laughs) (laughs) She did business for quite a while. and, And, you know, question is, how did she get fined? You think one of those thieves called the police and said, hey, this woman's distributing dead animals. Uh, But that thief who's hanging on to something that they think is priceless is really, eek. He's writing to people and he says, hey listen, some of the things that you're hanging on to are eek, get rid of it. Don't grab it. He says, let us put on, instead, put on ourselves the armor of light. Well, right away, we're in a spiritual battle, we're talking armor. He says we need to put on that which is going to help us to be able to stand against evil thinking, evil thoughts, stumbling one another, hurting one another. We've got to be careful. We've got to put on the proper attire so that we can have this battle. And he says you've got to walk honestly, appropriately. This is this godly lifestyle. And he lists several things you don't do. You don't do the rioting. You don't do the drunkenness. You don't do the chambering. You don't do the wantonness. You stay away from the strife, the bickering. You don't become envious or uh, you're filled with envy where you're very selfish. But you put on, he ends up saying in this text, what you do is you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You gird yourself. You guard yourself. You, you, this suit, this shirt. Since I put them on, wherever I go, they're with me today. That's putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day he's saying, he's with me. He's with me. Where I go, he's going. You know how when little kids, we would all of a sudden get in our costumes and we would play. And as we put on the costume, we developed the superpower. We can do this thing. And we would leap tall bunk beds in one leap. We would start all of a sudden pretending to. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretend you are that. You are Christ-like. Now, here's what you do when you're really bored in shopping. What you do when you're really bored is you find a mannequin and you stick your grandkids behind the mannequin. Let me give you a close-up of it. You say in the store, hey, Preston, go up there. Stand in the window and pretend your head's part of the mannequin. And when people go by Do you remember Candid Camera? This was it. I wish I had pictures. So we're up there at the Hershey Outlet Malls. People are walking by, and then as they pass by, he goes, <laughs> <laughs> scream, laugh. I entertained myself for a long time. I, <laughs> this was shopping. This, was, this is how you do shopping. You become part of this. He says, what you do is you pretend, you put on, not pretend, but you take on the nature of Christ. Yeah, you you say, I'm Christ. I'm putting on Christ today. And I'm going to act like him. I'm going to be him. I'm going to not make provision for the flesh. What it is is stop making plans to sin. That's the word, make not provisions. Is you don't put the welcome mat out to sin. To things you're struggling with. Hey, you're struggling with purity, then don't put a welcome mat out by going on the website without security. If you're struggling with language, then you better be careful what movies you're watching. If you're struggling with, with a lack of forgiveness, stay away from certain people that are angry people. You just make no provision for the flesh. Don't do what this dude did. This true story. A guy in California, young man's going for his driver's license and so he's there, he's done with the test and the instructor was saying afterwards, he said he did everything right but then all of a sudden the young he said, so son what do you think? He says I'm glad I don't have to drive like that anymore. Slunk, Okay. You know, you don't say or do certain things in certain situations. You make no provision for foolishness. So you and I need to live as, what we said, live like, love as God loves. We need to live a godly lifestyle. Let's wrap up with this. You need to live as if you're leaving. He's mentioned that in these verses that I already read where he says, hey listen, we know that the time is high time to wake out of sleep. Now is salvation nearer than when we believed. What salvation he's talking about? They're already born again. He's talking in that verse about the return of Jesus Christ. The salvation that all of a sudden we're going to be taken to heaven, we're going to be glorified. He says, it is nearer than when we first believed. So he's talking, he says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore we need to live in a certain lifestyle. Listen, we need to live as if we're leaving. As if we're leaving at any moment. We need to realize that we are in, approaching the return of Jesus Christ. The return of Christ is not determined by the storms that are coming or are here, but is determined by you and I recognizing that the Lord's coming back. There's a preacher that I thought he had a fabulous illustration of this. What he did is he took a, a big, he's been doing this for years, takes a big glass jar and he puts a marble for every month of his life. So he started off basically, he said, you know, figured it out. If you're going to live 80 years, start off with close to, you know, 1,000 marbles. And so, you know, if you're, you're, you know, say, let's just say 80 years. If you're at 40, you're going to have roughly about 480 marbles left. And then you take one out each month. Just to remind you that that is spent. That is gone. You know, if you're at my age, you only have 228 marbles left. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm losing my marbles. That is true. I know (laughs) it's there. His point is, it's a visual reminder, time is going. Time is passing. Time is fleeting. Now, one of his staff took it and said, I'm going to change that. I'm just going to put a single marble out there and remind myself that I only have this day, this day. What am I doing with it? Those men are living as if they're leaving. They're remembering their temporariness and they're trying to make value with what time they have. And being cautious and careful, they're not being caught up with silly Bible interpretations. They're looking and saying, okay, let's take the word of God. Where am I supposed to be living? There's an approach that says we honor the Lord. We honor the Lord we, in this whole discussion that so much more needs to be said. In standards, we say, here's where we start. We start as loving as God loves, living a a godly lifestyle. We start with saying, I'm going to be leaving soon. And we pray to the Lord, create in me a clean heart. And I'm going to ask you to join with me as we close in singing this prayer to God. And as we sing, our staff is going to that door. And if you would like to talk about your life, your walk with the Lord, you're free to get up and go and talk with them in private as we consider our walk with the Lord, 357 and how we can do better walking with the Lord whom we love.